In this episode of Of the Earth, we sat down to discuss contemporary artist Xu Bing, an artist whose installation works often force viewers to confront an illusion, reminding us that sometimes a thing is what it is not. Ellen, it's been a minute, but we're back. It feels good to be back behind the mic. Mic check, mic check. <laughs> so we took an extended winter break to uh, work on some other projects, but have been seriously super, super heartened by so many listeners who have asked for new episodes. Yeah. Thanks to everyone that reached out to us asking about Of the Earth. It's and like, it just feels so good to know that people are out there thinking about us and hoping for more episodes. We're here for you. Before we get started on today's episode, I just want to mention that Ellen recently finished her PhD dissertation. OMG. It's like 300 pages. Maybe we can have a special episode where I just read the entire thing. There you go. There you go. So did you have to print it out on that really heavy, fancy paper? You know, talk about silver linings of the pandemic. Um, Most of my readers, they were fine with um, Microsoft Word documents. Nice. Anyway, we're back. It's March. Yeah, I am so excited to reconnect with you after this this long period. Um, I guess the last episode we dropped was on Halloween, mm-hmm. right? So it's been a little while. Today, we are talking about one of our favorite contemporary artists, the one and only Xu Bing. So if you go way back with us, and I know a lot of our listeners do go way back with us, you will remember that one of our very first collaborative projects was an exhibition of Shubing's work at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Mm-hmm. See, back in the seven one five. Yeah, uh, that was over ten years ago. Oh my gosh, that was two thousand twelve. Uh, seems like yesterday. It does feel like yesterday. And any of our listeners who remember that time, that was a, that was a real event we put on. Yeah. It was, I don't know how we pulled it off because we, we didn't write a grant for funding, Mm -mm. but we cobbled funding together from lots of different sources. And we invited Xu Bing to Stevens Point. We had the Lily Tsai Dance Company. We had the Chi Shufang Peking Opera Company from New York City come scholars, visiting scholars. Yes. We had a film series even, right? How did we do all that? I know. I know. (laughs) Knocking on doors. Do you want to help fund our exhibition on contemporary Chinese art? I know we went to like, we even went to like all of the local Chinese restaurants Mm -hmm. and they were, they were so So, excited to help. Yeah. So supportive. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great community. It is a great community. Shout out to the 715. Yeah. Shout out Stevens Point. So Shubing is probably most famous for his projects, Book from the Sky mm-hmm. and his square word calligraphy. 
He was born in Chongqing, China in 1955, and then he earned his BA degree from the printmaking department at the Central Academy of Fine Arts in Beijing in 1981. So this was just shortly after the end of the Cultural Revolution in China. He then graduated with an MFA in 1987. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of Book from the Sky as well as Squareword Calligraphy, both of those works were included in our little UWSP exhibition, which you know now I'm having real, real nostalgia for. What a time! I just still can't believe that we were able to pull that off. The current atmosphere, right, with public universities, is you know we're in this period of austerity where there isn't any money to do these kinds of programs. So it really does feel like a dream,、mm-hmm. right? That that we were living in some alternate world at that time to be able to bring something this huge to Central Wisconsin.、Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I mean, I think that. It could also be argued that the two of us are pretty much a dream team. So you know, teamwork does make the dream work. I think so. We are, we are like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Exactly. So I think there was a little bit of magic that we brought to the collaboration yeah, as well. That's right. But anyway, yeah. So let's talk about. Book from the sky. Yeah, so this was one of his earliest installation pieces, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Xu Bing he began working on Book from the Sky way back in 1986, and so this is a monumental installation that includes many, many hand scrolls, large scale wall and ceiling scrolls that are approximately 500 feet. Long, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of these—they're all inscribed with characters that resemble classical Chinese texts. So the work itself—it was first exhibited in 1988 at the National Art Museum of China. At that time, it was known as the China Art Gallery. And then, subsequently, "Book from the Sky," you know, was was exhibited all over the world. You know, even in in Madison, Wisconsin,、uh, at the former Elvium Museum of Art, now now known as the Chazen Museum of Art. That's right. All right, we're gonna win on Jeopardy. Duh. <laughs> the Elvium exhibition was his first solo exhibition in the states, right? Exactly. Yeah. So he has a soft spot for Wisconsin and the Midwest, right? Which I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah. And how could he not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so cool that you know here you have this famous contemporary artist who has an attachment to the Midwest. I mean, you don't hear that often. It's usually like West Coast, East Coast, right? New York City, not Central Wisconsin. Totally, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, think about like Ai Weiwei or like Wang Gongxin, Lin Tianmiao. Like, these are all artists who, after they left China in the 1980s. You know, they went to New York、uh, and were hanging out in New York for a while, or like other artists, like Huang Yongping and others. You know, who went to Paris. So I think while the majority of these artists are going to big cities, she being like spending time in the dairy state. I'm biased, right? As a Midwesterner, totally biased. Well, Midwest is the best. Midwest is best. Not only the Midwest, but he actually spent time in Madison. 
uh, after leaving China. Yeah. So shout out to our Wisconsin cheese heads. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners in Wisconsin that we do. Yeah. So, okay. Back to book from the sky. <laughs> yeah. So while book from the sky, it first appears to be this, you know, very traditional work of block printed Chinese characters. The story behind the work is way more interesting. Uh, Xu Bing, he spent over three years to complete the project. Imagine the artist just sitting in his studio, hand carving 4,000 little characters into these woodblock pieces, right? And so mm -hmm. like you and I, we've seen these woodblocks during the UWSP exhibition. They're not big. Mm -hmm. They're really small, actually. Mm -hmm. So like if this is not mind blowing enough, you know, to understand the craftsmanship of this project, mm -hmm. the wildest thing is that none of Xu's characters are recognizable or even pronounceable. Talk about art leaving you speechless. Totally. <laughs> so while the characters are all invented by the artists in terms of how they look, right? You know, their components or what we would call their radicals, they're recomposed and they're rearranged from real Chinese characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for our audience members who are not familiar with Chinese characters, Chinese characters are logograms. They represent words rather than sounds, which makes them difficult to memorize, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've spent many a year crying over Chinese characters. Yeah. Many tears have been spilled. <laughs> yes. Um, so each character is composed of radicals, mm -hmm. which you can think of as simple characters. You combine two or more radicals together, you have a complex character. There are around 214 radicals and over 50,000 Chinese characters, hence all the tears. That was such a beautiful way to describe all of that. <laughs> so yeah, so like as you as you said, so she's invented characters. They're composed of these 214 radicals in this writing style that dates back roughly to like the 11th or 12th centuries. So we can think of, you know, when I say writing style, we can think of it kind of like a font, mm -hmm. you know, like in the way that we choose a font. Uh, when we're writing a paper in Microsoft Word or something like that, right? Okay, so Shubing basically created his own font. Yeah, more or less created his own font, we could say. And so, you know, this new font, we'll call it, it looks just real enough to trick the reader mm -hmm. into thinking that these are, in fact, classical Chinese characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I read that when... This work was first exhibited, viewers felt really frustrated. Didn't some of them even feel insulted by the work and his construction of fake characters or what he calls nonsense writing? I think that there were so many different responses to the work from a lot of different people, you know, and I think that this kind of makes the work itself somewhat unpredictable. I've heard that there were even a few people 
who spent hours uh, trying to prove that Xu Bing couldn't have possibly created 4,000 brand new, unique, unreadable characters. They thought that if they looked long enough, Mm -hmm. they would find, you know, like one or two unintentionally real words. But in the end, I think that maybe there were actually like two characters that ended up being real characters. Yeah. It's, can you imagine people sifting through thousands of intentionally fake characters attempting to prove that they are in fact not fake at all? I just feel like, like you need to get a hobby. Like that's <laughs> I know. a lot of time on your hands to be able to do that. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting is that This is an example of unpredictability, the unpredictability of a shooting work, especially once you share it with the public. Right. And then it like, you know, it becomes out of your control, Mm -hmm. right? It like no longer belongs to you. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. I also think that we might be able to consider this work in relationship to the Chinese philosophical idea of Wu, which can be defined as, you know, non-being or emptiness. Mm -hmm. You know, Wu is this critical notion within both Chinese Taoism and Chan Buddhism, which is in the U.S. is probably better known as Zen Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of connecting Shubing's work closely with Chinese philosophy. In Chan Buddhism, enlightenment is this moment of the realization of emptiness that allows one's mind to become open to discover a richer, wider realm of awareness. So speaking of, Xu Bing talks about all of these concepts that that we've just been discussing uh, in the short essay that I think is pertinent to our conversation. Xu Bing writes, quote, For more than a year, I ceaselessly invented, carved, and printed a set of 12 volumes of nonsense writing, which no one in this world can understand. The unbelievable amount of work threw its audience into confusion. One of my painter friends once told me about this, quote, crazy guy in his home village who always went out to collect waste paper at a certain hour, washing these papers in a river, carefully mounting them piece by piece, and then storing them under his bed after they had become dry and flat. I thought quite a long time about this person's behavior. Finally, I realized that it was a kind of qigong, a cultivation of the Tao. It was indeed a very powerful kind of qigong. It exemplifies an Eastern way of achieving true knowledge, obtaining sudden enlightenment and correspondence with nature." End quote. Shu's works have been exhibited all over the world, including the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Museum of Modern Art, the Guggenheim, the British Museum, among many other international institutions on just about every continent except Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like if he had the opportunity, he would absolutely create a site-specific work in Antarctica. 
That would be so cool. I really want to see that. I know. What do you think he would do? I, I, I think it would be really cool if he did like a living word project in Antarctica. I don't know what that would look like though. Yeah. Maybe something like with glaciers, mm-hmm. penguins. Yeah. So speaking of site specificity, there's another work we want to talk about. One of Xu Bing's most interesting ongoing series titled Background Story. I first saw a piece from this body of work in 2015 in a special exhibition at the Chazen Museum at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. So here he is coming back to Madison. He was there in the 90s. He came to Stevens Point in 2012, back in Madison in 2015. Can't stay away. No, it's the cheese curds. That's fair. (laughs) First of all, we should mention that background story is Xu's contemporary approach to traditional Chinese ink painting, which goes all the way back to the fourth century CE. So for the Chazen piece, he recreated a famous 22-foot-long hand scroll titled Wandering in the Fuchuan Mountains. This hand scroll is a landscape painting by a Taoist rustic who used painting as a form of self-expression during a period in Chinese history when China was occupied by the Mongols. I just wanted to take a minute to note that this hand scroll This original hand scroll took the artist about three to four years to complete. And I was thinking of this similarity with Shu sitting in his studio, carving the characters into woodblocks for three or more years, right? That this kind of dedication and diligence in working on something. And it is sort of interesting that this artist was a Taoist, right? Which kind of ties in with this idea of. Ooh, that that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it totally makes sense why Xu would choose a painting made by this artist. Yeah. By the way, if anyone's interested, the artist is Huang Gongwang. Okay, so he's he was a Yuan Dynasty artist, so roughly 13th century artist. So at first glance, Xu's version of Huang Gongwang's hand scroll looks to be a monumental, illuminated version rendered on 80 feet of rice paper. But as you might expect with Xu Bing's work, appearances are deceiving. And as you know, I had a very similar experience. The first time I saw Background Story was actually at the British Museum in London way back in 2011. And Courtney, I don't know if you remember this, but I was in London at the time um, because I received a grant that you encouraged me to apply for as an undergraduate student. What? I don't remember this. I'm serious. That is so cool. I'm so happy that I encouraged you (laughs) to do that, even though I don't remember. Yeah. That's awesome. Undergrad, anyone, anyone who's listening, just write the grant. Yeah. Write the grant. Do it. Just write the grant. It was the first grant I ever got. So cool. The British Museum example uh, is recreated from a painting made by a 17th century ink painter. And, you know, I still remember this super clearly, you know, even though it was like 10 years ago. 
I was wandering through the food shoot. No, just kidding. I was wandering <laughs> through the British Museum galleries, you know, and I remember there was this moment where I like I turned right and suddenly, you know, placed in front of this almost cerulean blue background that was painted on the gallery walls. I was confronted with this massive landscape uh, that was fixed onto this 16 foot tall screen. So this warm cream colored surface, it featured the, you know, these deeply receding cliffs um, and above this grove of trees, there's this river that's zigzagging downwards until it's emptying into this pool of water, you know, at the bottom of the image. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about all of the Chinese art classes that I had taken up to this point. So I assumed that I was gazing at an ink painting on a monumental hanging scroll. Or was I? Yeah. So what you just described, the receding cliffs, the trees, the rivers, these are all vocabulary of traditional Chinese landscape painting. Exactly. You know, so so I'm so I'm taking in this beautiful traditional Chinese landscape, but then, you know, I walk around the back of the screen. And at that moment, I'm shocked, right? Because what I discover is that this entire apparatus, mm-hmm. you know, this entire thing that I'm looking at, mm-hmm. it's actually this large light box with fluorescent lights that are running along the box's perimeter. I had the same feeling when I saw the piece at the Tazen Museum. I was totally took by surprise by this installation. Shoes ink strokes are actually shadows cast by twigs, branches, and other organic material, even garbage that looks like it was left behind from an exhibition install. So the materials are fixed directly to the back surface of the screen. And those materials appear dark on the other side of this light box. And then Materials that are fixed at a distance from the back of the screen, those provide shadows and create the appearance of depth, which is otherwise achieved by a diluted ink brush in traditional landscape painting. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, you know, it was the same experience that I had um, looking at, you know, the the quote unquote hanging scroll, right? Mm-hmm. And to this day, you know, I still remember that there was this kind of like what I assumed to be this discarded uh, piece of newspaper that featured a picture of Prince William and Kate Middleton from their wedding day. And it was attached to the top of the screen used to create this illusion of this distant mountain range on the other side of the screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's so amazing for me to think about this. I'm trying to imagine what a traditional Chinese ink painter who spent decades of their life diligently painting with ink and brush, what would they think about all of this? You know, it's really interesting to consider the fact that the materials themselves, you know, uh, to create both the Chazen piece and the British Museum piece, they were sourced from the streets, you know, gardens, green spaces around Madison and London. While we might expect the work to have nothing to do, you know, with our local context or our day-to-day experiences, in your case, you know, with students, 
in Madison, you know, and in mine, uh, in London, studying abroad, this actually, it couldn't be further from the truth because the work, it's really drawing from local ecologies, Mm -hmm. materials, you know, current events, aka a royal wedding, right? And even labor, Mm -hmm. which are all literally bound up in its creation. So other than the inspiration from traditional Chinese ink painting, there is nothing traditional about background story. Ink and brush have been replaced with refuse. Exactly. I couldn't have said better myself. (laughs) While some might argue that his manipulation of reality makes him just another trickster, his works certainly indicate that things aren't always what they seem. Xu Bing reminds us that we must look below the surface, or in this case, around the corner, to discover deeper and, yes, messier meanings that are hiding beneath. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Of the Earth. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Buzzsprout. Interested in becoming a patron to support our podcast? Please consider supporting us on Patreon, linked in our episode notes. Patreon members will receive special offers and bonus content. We are Of The Earth Podcast. You do that the best. You do it the best. No, you literally do it the best. You're the best. best. (laughs) No. You're the best. (laughs)